0: Thank you for joining us at the Center for Spiritual Living. We hope you enjoy this podcast, and for further information, please visit us at spiritualliving.org. Yes, I think you will leave this world better than you found it, which is um, a beautiful sentiment, isn't it? Can I leave the world better than I found it? You know, one of our uh, slogans is to be a force for good in the world, but it's not this organization that wants to be a force for good in the world. This, this organization is, is a collection of people. What we do is to empower each and every person to be a force for good in the world in their own way of doing it, in their own way of, of contributing them being a force for good in the world, each and every one of us, and to leave the world just a little bit better I'm, uh, in April, we are, at least I am, and our Facebook page is is looking at giving people simple little things that they can do to help Mother Earth, because on the 22nd of April is Earth Day. And it just seemed appropriate to, like, just do little things, because I can be overwhelmed. I, I can be overwhelmed. But if I can help make the world a better place by just buying bamboo toilet paper, well, why not? I mean, if I can help make the the world a better place by doing less plastic, why not? I mean, why not? And it's a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. And we can. We can be a force for good in the world in our own way. Today's talk title, though, is not about that, although I'll probably get to it a tiny bit. Uh, Today's talk title is Before Enlightenment, Chop wood carry water after enlightenment, chop wood carry water wouldn 't it be great if enlightenment was the end and then you were you know got a pass like unmonopoly, go straight to heaven, no more trials and tribulations <laughs> home free uh, it doesn 't work that way. Enlightenment for one thing is an experience of what 's going on and and there is no end to what we will experience of what's going on. There will always be greater truths because truth is infinite. The universe is infinite. God is infinite. And I don't know that we're going to arrive. I'm not sure that we'll arrive, but we will continue to wake up to things. So I want to share with you a little wake up story that I have. And this wake up story, like a lot of my wake up stories, came out of me being indignant. See, <laughs> I don't have a lot of envy. I don't envy people's cars they drive. I don't envy people's houses they live in. Uh, sometimes I will some semi-envy a vacation, but not really. It's like, because I know how to do vacation. I, can do, I go places. I can go places. I know I can go anywhere. I don't envy that, but I do envy experiences. I really love it when somebody has a miraculous experience. And if I'm in their presence, I always go, whoa, what about me? we go to Egypt and people will have these experiences. Pop, 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 pop. Experiences. Whoa. Insights. Whoa. And I'm going, I felt nothing. I felt nothing. Now, come home, I'll be different. So something happened, but I wanted to experience it. I wanted the the boom, the ah. I wanted that. Nothing. Well, one of the times I was... Most envious is many, many, many years ago. I was taking a nine month tra- uh, training with Michael and Paulette's son. And there were about 11 of us. And it was pretty intense. It was Friday night to Sunday evening. And lots of experiential things. And people were having all these experiences and these ahas and these openings and these ooh, revelations. And I'm getting nothing. I'm getting nothing. Nothing. And I'm thinking, I'm the minister, and I'm getting nothing. These are a bunch of lay people, and they get experiences. What's going on? I want, a, I want a something. And I think that by that time, we'd been together long enough that I even expressed that. I even sort of said it out loud to the group. I was trying to be honest and open, hoping that would work. Uh, you know, I was like, what? and now I've got nothing going on here. And... Um, So I'm walking back to my room after this last session. It was nighttime, and there were lights on the path. And I looked down, and literally I looked at a rock. I literally just looked at a rock, and everything changed. Nothing changed, and everything changed. Everything was alive. Everything was vibrant. Everything was breathing. Everything was beautiful, beautiful. And I'm having this moment and I go back to my room and I understand things. And this is when I really got on the Emma Curtis Hopkins path. It's when I really started to understand covenants. I really understood that my life is not my life, it's God's life, I'm just here to enjoy it. And my mind is not my mind, it's God's mind, and I'm just here to use it. And my my support is not making my, myself support myself, it's God's support. And it's like, ah, oh, and it lasted all night, and then I woke up in the morning and nothing. I was like, okay, if this ever happens again, I promise not to sleep. I promise, I won't sleep. But here's the deal. After enlightenment, guess what? Go back to life. Go back to just doing what you do. And how many of you, whether you're in the room or not, have had one of those moments where everything seemed to make sense for a moment, for a brief moment, it all was open and then... How do we live after that? Richard Rohr, who wrote the book, The uh, Universal Christ, which is our book of the month, said there are four worldviews. The first worldview is the material worldview, that if you can see it, it's real. If you can measure it, it's real. If you can somehow quantify it, it's real. So... This is real. The wind is real because you can feel it. You can measure it. You can quantify it. And then there's another worldview, which is the spiritual worldview. And the spiritual worldview says everything, is, everything that's really real is spirit. Everything else is an effect and it's not really real. If it's, if it's not spirit, it's not really real. It's an illusion. A lot of religious traditions go by this. Not usually... Not, yeah, some Hinduism and some Buddhist and when you get, they get so out on the edge it's only real if it's spirit. Nothing else is real. It's an illusion. That's really scary way of thinking if you want to step out in front of a car. Because it will probably be Real. And you could just say the hospital visit's an illusion. Richard Rohr says that there's another worldview, and that's the priestly worldview. Who knew there's a worldview for us? The priestly worldview is for those people like myself and many authors who try to bring the two worlds together, that, that spirit influences matter, matter influences spirit. And he said, then there's another worldview, and that is, oh, I love this word the incarnation view. That God incarnated not just as the man Jesus or Buddha or other spiritual teachers or even you and me, but that God incarnates as all of creation. All of creation is the body of God, everything is alive, and that matter is spirit in form and, 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 Matter and spirit cannot be separated. It's not matter and spirit, it's spatter. It's the same thing, it's the same thing interwoven. And that's what I was seeing that night when I could see it alive and pulsating. I put it on my Facebook page. Scientists do not understand why the earth is giving off a pulse every 26 seconds. It pulses every 26 seconds. And I said, maybe it's a heartbeat. It, it, the earth is alive. One of the things I read a long time ago is that a gentleman was passing a young Native American gentleman or young boy on, on the, laying down on the ground. And he said, what are you doing? He says, I'm really full of sorrow. So I'm laying on the earth so that she will take it from me. And I just read that one story, it changed my life. Days when I'm overcome with anger and regret and sorrow and and worry stuff, when I'm overreacting to what I've read in the paper or I've heard on the radio, I will, if I'm really overcome, I go and I lay out in one of our fields and I just lay there and I say, Mama, take it. I, I, I can't handle this. And it feels like, and maybe it's just gravity, but it feels like things are being pulled from me into the ground. And after a while, I feel better. I encourage you to t- try it. Just try it. If, you know, it works for me it might work for you the earth is alive it it loves its creation it hugs us <laughs> a spoiler alert for those of you that ever want to go to a mystic mind retreat with with me one of the exercises is to spend an afternoon with a tree and talk to it just talk to the tree so we were in morocco this beautiful resort and uh, I, I, it was that time, and I said, Now, I want you to think of something that you have a quandary about, and I want you to go find a tree and talk to, it, talk to the tree about it. And this one gentleman, he's a scientist, uh, pulled towards the mystical but rooted in the material. Pulled in this direction, that's why he would decide to go to Morocco and spend a week with me in the Mystic Mind Retreat, and yet incredibly analytical. So he said, "I'm not going to talk to no tree. The trees don't talk." But he was assigned that. So he said, "This is is crazy." And then he came back and he said, "He he said, I left here and I found this tree calling out to me to come and sit with it." And I said, "And I said to myself, I'm not sitting on the ground." Because he was very, I'm telling you, you could look at this guy. and know he didn't sit on the ground much. Anyway, I'm not sitting on the ground. And there was a chair by the tree. So I sat on the tree, on the chair, and I spent time with the tree. And we had a great conversation. And it answered a lot of my questions. See, the earth is alive. It's not like here's intelligence and here's not intelligence. There's only intelligence and when we have ears to really hear, we hear the intelligence that's happening through things and with things and in things and as things, including ourselves. The, the, the saint, I, some the Catholic Church named him a saint, Bonaventure. I mean, think that, that's quite the name, Bonaventure. Saint Bonaventure said... Every creature is the word of God, and nature is the first book of the Bible. Bible just means collection of books. It could could have been called library. And Judge Thomas Troward, who was a major influence on Ernest Holmes, said that he was influenced in all of his teaching, and and he has an amazing metaphysical teaching that really influenced what we teach here. He said, I only learned from two things. The Bible and nature. And out of that came my philosophy. So everything is alive. There's a song that that, um, LaVon Hardison sings here. And I love it. It's like everything is holy now. To wake up to that fourth way of, of living is, it's not this influencing that or that influencing this. It's like everything is holy now. Everything is holy now. So, we will have those moments when we will understand everything is holy now. The gentleman that was talking to the tree has a greater understanding of everything is holy now. I'm not sure he still talks to trees when he got home. I'm not sure, I mean, I absolutely know that I don't go lay on the earth unless I'm in trouble. What do we do in between? In between those moments of enlightenment, what do we do? (sighs) What we do is get out of the way. See, I maybe my telling my group that I how frustrated I was and letting instead of trying to look smart and look holy and whatever. Just by downloading what was going on for me, maybe that was my way of getting out of the way. Maybe laying down on the on the ground is just my way of getting out of the way. But it's hard to get out of the way because the ego wants to protect us and keep things going the way it's gone because the ego was formed for our protection and our security. It's not a bad thing. Ego's not bad. The ego is not the metaphysical new thought devil. You know, before we were afraid of the devil. Now we're afraid of our ego. No, ego is just wanting to keep us safe. It developed to keep us safe and comfortable. And new things are uncomfortable. So it likes status quo. And it likes, and status quo means that it needs to keep things the same so it's hard to get out of the way for the ego because the ego doesn't then know what to do. So really this talk is about what to do. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, do these things. So, I want to share with you some things to do that'll keep your ego busy so that you can get out of the way and have the revelation of what's going on. Which Richard Rohr, in his book, The Universal Christ, says is always going on and always wants to break through into our consciousness. But we're too busy seeing the world as this or this instead of just allowing the world to reveal itself to us. There's a difference. There's a difference. How many of you, this is what I love about falling in love. When you, how, okay, who's ever fallen in love? Let's just see if we can got some people. Okay, great. When you fall in love, isn't it like, wow, you watch the person, you know, there's just like this revelation after revelation. Oh, they like Spinach. Oh my, Brussels. I mean, you know, it's such a revelation. Love opens us up to the revelation of the beauty of the earth, and that's called enlightenment. But we're too busy doing other things. So I want to share with you Emma Curtis Hopkins' do's and don'ts for getting out of the way so you can experience more enlightenment. Do's and don'ts. (laughs) And and I'm doing this because if if your ego is like my ego, my ego likes a list. So it can feel like it's accomplished something. Let's start with the don'ts. First don't. What's the first don't that we teach in this church? Don't complain. Don't complain. Complaining, yeah, you might see that something's off, But if you complain, you're not really fixing it. You think you've accomplished something. But since consciousness is that what we give our attention to increases, you'll just find more to complain about. And it's kind of a... a, It creates a kind of an ugly energy. I always feel like it's like... uh, (sighs) plaque for our consciousness. It's like really bad cholesterol for the flow of good in our life. Complaining builds up and, and squishes our ability to let God flow through us. Now, it doesn't mean that what you are complaining about isn't true, but Emma says it this way. If you see something, do something. If you see something that's not right, Ask the Spirit of God, what can I do to remedy it, change it, move it? That's what it's ours to do. The next one, don't accuse. We already have enough sin within ourselves to handle. Don't start handling other people's sin. This, I, I, that was what I think Jesus was getting at when when... Uh, people tried to trick him, and they brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Isn't it interesting that the woman caught in adultery was brought? Uh, doesn't it take two? Just ask. Um, <laughs> Anyway, the woman was caught in adultery, brought to him, and they said, you know, the the, the law is that we must stone her to death. What do you say? Because he'd been teaching love and forgiveness, and so they thought they'd catch him. And he said, well, let the first one without sin throw the first stone. And they all knew that they'd all sinned. We've all got our own sin. We've got our own life. I have enough work to do on my own. You have enough work to do on your own. Plus, here's the ugly little secret about that, which also shows up in the New Testament. When Jesus said, don't try to pluck the the splinter out of your neighbor's eye because it might be a reflection of the plank in your own. See, when we accuse someone else, it's because there's a little bit of that in us. When I see something wrong about someone else, it's because there's a little bit about that in, my, in myself. Now, I might be much more polished about it and subtle and sneaky, and only in, and I may not act out of it, but it's in me, and that's why I don't like it in you. Now, that's why I've never really felt really, I mean, there's some things that I just don't react to because it's not in me. Other things I react to because it's just, you know, I keep it under control, and so should you. But it's still in me. That's why I hate it in you. Don't play dumb. Don't play dumb. Don't complain, don't accuse, and don't play dumb. Actually, Emma Curtis Hopkins would say it this way. Don't believe in ignorance. See, if the universe could create a body that works out of a bunch of cells that actually cooperate with each other, if it could create an a, a ecosystem that is balanced, and everything supports everything else, except when human beings become involved, then that intelligence is everywhere, and it's in us, and we have to stop saying, I don't know. We can say, it hasn't been revealed to me yet. I haven't listened deeply enough, but we are a center of divine intelligence. The love intelligence of the universe finds a center in us. And we stop its revelation by saying, I don't know, and then stopping. How many of you get, get yourself off the hook by just saying, I don't know? We get yourself off the hook. I don't have to know that. I don't have to do that because I don't know how to do it. Instead of saying, I don't know at this moment... Uh, but I'm willing, to, I'm willing to know. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to be inspired. Do you see the difference? It's like, don't, to say I don't know is like a stop, like, and you'll never know. We <laughs> Don't give up. At least don't give up on your goal. But you can give up on the method to your goal. If you are going someplace, want something, and you're not getting there, don't give up on the goal. Give up on the method. The method be, may be the wrong method. In the Bible, it's told in this parable, and this is actually a story in John, but all of John is a parable. And Jesus had, had died and was resurrected, and his friends didn't understand what was going on, so they went back to fishing. That's what they knew. And he saw them out in uh, the Sea of Galilee, which is really a big lake. And they were throwing the net over, pulling it up, getting nothing. Throwing the net over, pulling it up, got nothing. And he said, put it, they didn't recognize him, but he said, put the net on the other side of the boat. Like, yeah, like fish only swim on one side of the boat. That's why you know it's a parable. So they put the net on the other side of the boat, pull it up, and it's so heavy and full that fish are flopping all over. What that means is, is that sometimes all you have to ask is spirit spirit within, what's another way I might go about this? How else should I see this? What do I need to change or shift? How could I have a different conversation? Do I need a different kind of exercise to see, don't give up on the goal, give up on the way perhaps you're doing it. Be willing to get new instructions and new, in, and new direction. So let's go into the do's. The first do is praise everything. Praise, according to Emma Curtis Hopkins, praise gets the healing energy flowing. And by healing, she doesn't mean heal, You're healed. You're healed. So she means you get the revelation of wholeness moving. You have more wholeness in your life. Things turn out differently because you praise things. Now, if you've been around us for a while, you may know that it's often that we will do, I, I, I praise you and I raise you in the name of love. I want to tell you where that came from. That came from uh, a teaching from Marsha Sutton, but she got it from her practitioner, Lloyd Strom. And Lloyd Strom invented this in his own head and in his own Life, because he worked at a at a county government office, and it was it it was in licensing and it was in in uh, construction, and people would come for permits, and then they'd have to get checked, and he was always running into very aggressive contractors, who really wanted him to make it good for them. Okay. Can you kind of get the idea? And even though Lloyd, I've met him, he's a very large man, he was often intimidated by these guys that came in angry. How dare you not approve this permit? How dare you say I have to do something else? So what he would do is when he found out that he, someone was coming to see him, he'd be in his office and he'd do, he, and, and, and as he was walking towards the counter, he'd say, in his mind, not out loud, you know, that would have been weird. I praise you and I raise you in the name of love. And he, he, I praise you and I raise you in the name of love. And so he'd be walking. I praise you and I raise you in the name of love. I praise you and I raise you in the name of love. I praise you and I raise you in the name of love. I praise you and I raise you in the name of love. By the time he got to the counter, they were all calmed down and had a civil discussion. See, we don't just praise what we love; we praise everything so that we'll love it, and it will love us back. What we praise praises us back. So it's not just an affirmation of your good. It's also a transformational tool. Praise everything. If you've got something going on in your body, praise your body. If you've got something going on in your finances, praise your finances. If you've got something going on in your social life, praise your social life. Praise everything, and it transforms. The next one is give thanks. Amber Curtis Hopkins says that not being grateful covers up our prosperity. Not being grateful covers up our prosperity. And prosperity to her means thriving in every area of your life. So if we just take things for granted... If we, if we go about things and thinking that we just deserve it or, and, and the universe hasn't really blessed us and we're not paying attention to anything, eventually it starts to dry up. So we give thanks. Be gra- a, to list what we're grateful for, it's, it's just, it shows up in so many books. It's like, ooh, this big revelation. Uh, Deborah Norville wrote a book I'd say maybe 15 years ago, about the power of gratitude. And I thought, well, this is kind of old, but I'm glad you wrote the book. Because if she wrote the book, more people will read the book. And it's powerful spiritual technology. Be grateful. It changes things. It changes things. It uncovers your ability to thrive. Next thing. Appreciate the good you see in others. Appreciate the life you see others living. I'd say almost 40 years ago, I got one of the best, best lessons I ever got from Terry Cole Whitaker. And what she said is, if you are envious of somebody else, it's a message that it's time for you to open up to that gift. See, I'd always thought envy was bad. And I'd feel, I'd have envy and then I'd feel bad about myself. And what she's saying is, if you envy something, it's... That's the universe saying, it's time to open up to that being given to you as well. If you like it, be willing to own it, to say, oh, this is for me. I was at a horse show last week, and there's two people that I envied. One was her ability to have fun, whether her horse did well or not. She'd come off, and she got last place, and she's smiling and laughing and saying, that was so fun, I went, I want that. I, that's, that's the attitude I want. And then there was this other woman who had so many wonderful ideas. She was so profound and confident and filled with wisdom. And I said, I want that. I want her confidence and her wisdom and her ability to see things in a new way. I want that. I was envious of those qualities, but I'm not going to say they have them and I don't. No, they have them and it's now my turn. I want to, I I do art, and there's so much that I don't show, and I don't bring forward, and I paint over because I hate it. It's like, I want to love the bad stuff. Why? I already did it. Why not love it? Have fun. How many of you know you get a little serious? So why not have fun? Wow, what a mess. Man, did I learn from that mess. Anyway. That's what I want. Appreciate the good you see in others. Appreciate what you see that they have. It's time for you to open up and have that as well. I the last one I'm going to live, leave you with is a B. And that is be satisfied. So many are not satisfied. The world is in the shape it is because people just aren't satisfied. They don't have enough land. They don't have enough money. They don't have enough uh, followers they don't have enough influence they don't have enough beauty they don't have enough this they don't have enough that and so it just gets so divisive I, I learned this also many years ago maybe even more than 40 years ago maybe 45 years ago i was into lists this is when i gave up lists how many of you have done the lists The list for the house, the list for the person, the list for the this, the list for the that. I was into lists. And I was getting good at lists. And I was dating the perfect list. Everything I wanted was on that list. He had the car, the job, the company, the house with the view. He had everything. He was my list. And I was so unhappy. There was just no spark. And I thought every, uh, the universe hated me, and this stuff doesn't work. And I went to my minister at the time, John Graham Ingram, John Ingram. And I was crying. I was just crying. I was in my 20s. I, forgive me. I was bawling. Work. It works. not work. It's so awful. It's not working out. And he says, well, you forgot something. I said, whatever. Yeah. To be satisfied. What? I mean, like, really? What? You could be satisfied? (laughs) What? He said, yeah, what you want is a satisfying, fulfilling relationship. You don't want a this, a this, a this. That may not satisfy you. Well, obviously it didn't. And so I've shifted the way I pray now. I want a satisfying, fulfilling relationship, and I've had them. And then I added another one because... Sometimes it was satisfying, fulfilling, but it didn't shift when I was shifting. So I've added, I want a satisfying, fulfilling, supportive relationship. I want a satisfying, fulfilling, supportive job. I want a satisfying, fulfilling, supportive social environment. I want satisfying, fulfilling, and supportive... um, Trips. I want, I want satisfying, fulfilling, and and supportive environment. I just those three words cover it. And God knows how to make it that way. More so than I do. More than my my mind can figure out a list. In Emma Curtis Hopkins' scientific Christian mental practice, the last practice for Sunday is: I am satisfied with the world in which I walk. I mean, doesn't that just feel good? It doesn't mean that things won't change. It doesn't mean that things can't get better. But in the meantime, you're satisfied. You don't have that hungry, I've got to change things going on because consciousness is caused. If you're never satisfied, you'll never be satisfied. But if you're satisfied, you go from glory to glory to glory to glory and it'll be satisfying. So let's pray for satisfaction. Who's up for it? Okay. Joel will, sh- will join me. We're going to move into a song that Savannah's going to sing about a beautiful city. But you know, a beautiful city is filled with people that are content and peaceful. In, the, in John, Jesus says, many saviors will come out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem means peace. When we become peaceful, when we're satisfied, when we're content, that's when we're going to make a difference in the world. Not the people who say, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. No, it's those people who are peaceful. That's why Martin Luther King worked on his consciousness to be peaceful and loving. And then he was a force for good in the world. The same thing happened with Nelson Mandela and Gandhi. Many saviors will come out of Jerusalem, that sense of peace, contentment, security, satisfaction that comes out of knowing that we are right with our God. Who's up for that? Then, Father, Mother, God within, I speak my word that that sense of peace, that sense of contentment, that sense of satisfaction is being ignited within us, in our very heart and soul. Like a fire, it flames and warms us. And it spreads out contentment and blessing to all around us. People feel our centered nature and they respond to it like a baby does to its mother's voice. I give thanks that we are finding within ourselves the beginning of satisfaction and the end of discontent. And we are the place where something beautiful can emerge. And we are the people who are creating a beautiful city, we are the people who are creating a beautiful planet. We are the people who are adding beauty to the universe we are the children of Jerusalem the children of peace the children of satisfaction filled with God's glory and supportive of everyone around us we are it now if that appeals to you put your hand on your heart and say yes and amen and so it is